Well, good morning. Let me pray. Lord, I pray, God, now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, who all here remembers or knows the name Paul Harvey? Okay, there's a few of you. All right, cool. <laughs> so Paul Harvey was a radio broadcaster from 1970s to really the uh, early 2000s. And he would give these detailed stories when he reported on the news. And he had this, like I said, he had this long running show and I used to listen to it in college every now and then. And he had this awesome tagline. He would say, I'm Paul Harvey and this is the rest of the story. And if you know, and it was just, it was a, he did a great job and he would, uh, he would go back and he would cover kind of the story from all sides and he would uh, show the history of what the story was about. And this morning, I say that because we're in uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, but I want to give you kind of the Paul Harvey or the rest of the story uh, of what's going on this morning in our gospel passage. Because if you're anything like me, uh, when you come to the Bible, for, for the longest time, I came uh, to the Bible and I would read uh, passages like our gospel passage this morning and other passages in the Bible. And it was really hard for me to kind of see how it all fit together. Uh, you know, it, it, I kind of just would read it like one instance after another. And it was like, okay, Jesus did this. And then Jesus did that. And then Jesus did this. And then he went to the cross. And then, you know, it's just, I, I didn't see it as one complete story. Uh, but I think it's very helpful for us to do that because, I mean, we've got a thousand plus page book here. And there is a succinct, a succinct story that runs through it. And especially in the Gospels, these are not isolated events. These, these stories that we read in the Gospel passages are happening kind of uh, in an order. And like I said, this, uh, this morning we're in the end of Matthew chapter 22, and we've been covering uh, a lot of Matthew, if you've been with us in our gospel passages over the past really several months. Uh, but we've been in this section for a little while. But it really, uh, I, I kind of had, when I was looking at it this week, I, I kind of saw that it started back in Matthew 21. And I'm gonna, I want to, like I said, I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm just going to kind of walk us through the scriptures and see kind of how this plays out. Uh, and at Matthew, if, you, if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, like I said, we're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1. This is where we have the triumphant entry, if you're familiar with that. Uh, this is what we celebrate as Anglicans every, uh, every Easter on Palm Sunday, or the, the Sunday before Easter, we celebrate the triumphant entry. This is where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Right? He, he's been doing his ministry outside of Jerusalem. Now he's come into the city, and this marks a really big shift in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he, he comes in, and, and even just him coming in on a donkey is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. Right? Uh, Matthew records, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. That is from Zechariah. He's fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy by coming into the city. And again, this, this shift in his ministry is he is going from just a few chapters earlier, he's talking to his disciples and he says, he asked them who, uh, who the people say that he is. And he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. And what is, you remember what Jesus says? And he does this all throughout Mark as well. Don't tell anyone, right? 
And, and if we're reading through the Gospels, that's a little confusing, right? Because it's, it, it, you see, it seems like Jesus wants people to know this. But all throughout the, the before this chapter in Matthew, he's telling the disciples, don't, don't tell anyone who I am. But we get to Matthew chapter 21, and there's just, there's a parade for him. He comes into the city, and you, you see the, the crowds come out, and they line the streets, and they, they put cloaks down, and, and then palm branches, and they're waving in the air, and they're singing their praises, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. We, uh, we, we sang this morning a song that we sing on Palm Sunday as well. You know, the little children are out there, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. And it really is this kind of this beautiful moment where we see Jesus being worshipped in public. And this, this is really the first time uh, that's happened. And we also know that Matthew records that this has stirred up the city. That's what Matthew uh, at, the, at the end of that uh, section says, this stirred up the city. And it didn't just stir up uh, the, the commoners and the crowd. This stirred up the religious leaders. This was a big deal, Right. Jerusalem is, is there's, uh, you know, the way I read it is there's kind of this, it's almost like it's, it's starting to boil. The pot's starting to boil. Jesus is on his way into the city. He's, he's in, in all reality, he's actually working his way towards the cross, right? So this is kind of his, his final push with his ministry. And, and what does he do? You remember what he does right when he comes into the city? The first thing he does, and I can, you know, in my mind, I kind of see it as a, as a movie or a play. He, he, he comes up, he, he's on his donkey, and he gets off of his donkey right in front of the temple, right? And he walks into the temple, and he just wrecks shop. I mean, he just goes, he, he's flipping tables, his money's going everywhere, uh, birds and pigeons are flying. Uh, I remember when I was uh, a kid, we used to do a passion play uh, in, in our church growing up, and, and it was every Easter season. And I, I, I remember that scene as a kid. I loved that scene. Jesus, they, at one point, I remember they gave the actor a, a whip, and he was like whipping people and like chasing them out of the temple. And I was just like, this is amazing. It was the coolest thing. Um, but, but there's something, there, there's some really interesting things going on here. And Matthew records it. And one of the things that I loved about Matthew's, he says that he chases out the money lenders, the money changers, and he chases out those selling pigeons. That's kind of odd, right? What, what, why, why does Matthew record that? He chases those out that are selling pigeons. Well, well it, it, there, there's a point there. You see, pigeons, pigeons were used for sacrifices, but they were used for sacrifices for the poorest of the poor, right? The whole sacrificial system was based off of, uh, you know, making sacrifices for your sin. And you would uh, typically, you'd, you'd sacrifice a lamb or a calf or things like that. But most people in the city, the, the ones that were kind of living in the slums and the ones really that were devoted to the law, though, and devoted to following uh, Moses' law, they would come up to the temple and they would buy these pigeons from these vendors. And it really was a way that the church leaders of that time, the, the temple leaders were actually taking advantage of the poorest of the poor. They were taking advantage of those that were less fortunate. And I want you to hear this this morning. This is one of those things when I'm going through the scriptures, Jesus hates that. He absolutely hates when, uh, when people that are representing him take advantage of the poor and the needy. We saw that in our Exodus passage this morning, right? And we see it again here. And, and beyond that, I, I want to, just a moment here. If, 
if that's a part of your story, if, if you or someone you know has been hurt by the church or by leaders in the church uh, or have been taken advantage of, I want you to know that you have a Savior that absolutely hates that. He wants that driven out of the church. I promise you he does. And he wants to heal the brokenness that's co- that it's cost. I know that for a fact. And I know that because when he clears the temple, what does Jesus do? I actually, I, I had missed this. A lot of times when I reread it this week, I saw it. What does he do when he clears the temple? He clears out all of those that were taking advantage of people. And he welcomes the lame and the blind and the poor and the little children. They all start coming into the temple. That's what the, that's what the scripture is saying. And, and really, he has this healing service. He starts healing those that are blind. He starts healing those that are lame, that can't walk. And it's just the beautiful moment. Those who have been excluded from the temple, they couldn't even come in before this. And Jesus comes in and he, he clears it and he welcomes those that have been mistreated. And it's a beautiful scene. And, 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 and during this scene, like I said, you can just imagine the, the children that were, were waving the palm branches, right? They followed him into the temple. And now they're screaming out, Hosanna to the son of David. And it's just this beautiful scene that is happening. But, but not everybody's happy, right? Some, some people have lost power because of this. Uh, and those people are the chief priests and the Pharisees. And, and they kind of, they, they, uh, they go in on Jesus a little bit, right? They hear these children uh, hollering out, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and they look at Jesus and say, do you hear Do you hear what these kids are saying about you? What do you say to this? And again, this is is not the meek and mild Jesus right now. This is Jesus. He is saying who he is. He is the Messiah, right? And he quotes whenever he says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. This is from Psalm 8, a psalm that is clearly about the Messiah, Jesus is is clearly saying that he is the Messiah. He is here, and the things that he's doing are amazing. And then you get this this short break in the story. He's done all these things. He's had this amazing parade. He's chased out everyone of the temple, and then he's had this healing service, right? And he's upset the crowd. I mean, the the sacrificial system, the the sacrifices had had to stop for the day, right? The priests, they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. And Jesus does all that and he leaves the city. Matthew uh, says that he rested. He goes out of the city and he rests. And then he comes back in the next day. And when he comes back in the next day, the, uh, they're waiting for him, right? The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they're waiting for Jesus. And they, they're, they're there with their questions. The first question that they ask, it really, it's a, I haven't read this in the message Bible, but I do like checking the message every now and then. And I I can imagine in today's language, kind of the question is, who do you think you are? That's the question that he gets. He comes into the temple and they say, who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And and, And again, the crowds have followed Jesus back in. The crowds are all around him. He's come back to the temple and, and, and it is, it's a scene. It's, it's you know, Jesus versus the Pharisees. And when he answers them, Jesus, he does that frustrating thing. He answers them with a question, 
right? We talked about this uh, last week in our community group, and we said that, you know, Jesus was, he's pretty frustrating to follow sometimes, because anytime you, they, he's asked a question, a lot of times he answers back with a question, and, he, and he, he asks him, he says, I'll answer you this if you can tell me where did John's baptism come from? And their answer, he says, did it come from God or did it come from man? And, and their answer, uh, or what they, their, their lack of an answer actually, is interesting uh, because Matthew records why they can't answer. Why can't they answer Jesus? It says because they can't give an answer because they were afraid of the crowd. This crowd that has followed Jesus in, this crowd that has been singing Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna on the highest, they're, stand, they're around Jesus. This is, this is all happening in the public eye, really for the first time. This is right in the middle of the city, and they can't answer him. And Jesus takes that opportunity to, uh, we've read, uh, I believe it's the past three or four weeks, we've been reading some of these parables as our gospel uh, readings, and we get the parable of the two sons uh, starting in, uh, what is it, verse 28, Matthew 20, uh, 21, 28. We get the parable of the two sons. Uh, right after that, we get the parable of the two tenants, the tenants that uh, kill the servants that the, uh, the master keeps sending to them, and then they end up killing uh, the servant's son right? And then we get the parable of the wedding feast, which is really a parable of kind of the end times and what's going to happen to those who have been taken advantage of God's people. And, and, and these are very pointed parables. And they're not, the, the, message is, is, the message is not really hidden at all. Jesus is very upfront about who he's talking about. At one point, he pretty much tells the religious leaders there, prostitutes and uh, tax collectors are going to come into the kingdom before you. I mean, he's saying it right to their face. And I mean, this is, again, that boiling point. This is, the, the, the pot is, it's boiling, right? It, it, is, it is getting uh, hotter and hotter. And again, what do the Pharisees do, right? Again, they, like I said, they knew they was talking about it. Matthew 21, 45 through 46 records this. It says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They knew it. And although they were seeking to arrest him, why couldn't they arrest him? The crowds. But the crowds surrounded him and the crowds held him to be a prophet. They were so scared of this crowd that were singing his praises. This crowd that were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. So what did they do? Well, uh, we started this last week uh, really, it's, uh, I'd say you've almost got this uh, event here, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders versus Jesus, this back and forth, right? And what they're trying to do is, uh, it says, uh, uh, chapter 22, verse 15 says, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, right? So they can't, they can't, really, they can't really openly arrest him. So what do they do? They decide to kind of get him to mess up because they know Jesus is going to say some stuff. Right? He, he's going to mess up. And last week, we talked about how uh, they brought up taxes. Right? In any situation, get someone to talk about religion and taxes and money, you're going to get, you know, they're gonna, we're going to get them to mess up. But Jesus doesn't mess up. He, he, he presents a, you know, it's, it, Father, go listen to the sermon. Father Daniel gave an amazing sermon on uh, what Jesus' response is about uh, paying the taxes to Caesar. 
And then after that, uh, you continue going, the, they kind of strike out. The Sadducees stand up. And the Sadducees are, are of the different sect of uh, the Jewish leaders. You've got the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, Daniel told me this joke this weekend, uh, or this past week. So he said, the Sadducees, the way you can know the Sadducees and how you kind of tell them apart is the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. It's a bad pastor joke, I know. But, uh, but it is. They, they don't believe in the resurrection. And that's the big rift. That's one of the big rifts. And they're, they're kind of more aligned with Rome. Uh, and, and they've got, you know, that, that's what they asked Jesus about. They say, hey, Jesus. Well, they, they ask him about the resurrection. And again, Jesus comes back with answers that shut them down. They're not able to uh, trap him in his words. He's continuing to outmaneuver them. And then finally, we get to uh, our, our gospel passage from this morning, right? Finally, we get to the passage where they, uh, a lawyer, right? And I, I love the way that uh, this actually starts off. But when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and you can just see them kind of getting together, and they say, oh, well, you know, Jim, Jim's, Jim's a lawyer. He knows this stuff. And, uh, he, and they say, Jim, you stand up. You ask him. You ask him. And uh, Jim stands up, or the Pharisee, his probably name wasn't Jim, but he stands up. <laughs> And this, this, this lawyer, the way, you know, we use the term lawyer and we think about an attorney uh, that would be in court. And, but this where lawyer is actually more talking about someone who, who knew uh, Moses' law backwards and forwards. He knew the law. He studied the law. The first five books of the New Testament were like the back of his hand. This guy knew everything about the law, right? So he stands up and he asks him the question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law out of all book laws in the Old Testament. What is the greatest commandment? Again, that doesn't, you know, we, we covered um, taxes and money uh, last week. We see the Sadducees kind of jump in on him about really a, a pretty fine point of theology that you could see why that would get some people upset. And then this one kind of seems like a little bit of a softball, right? What's going on? The law, like, okay, well, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, there's, there's, again, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And this actually was a pretty hot-button question of the day. This was something that church leaders and those prophets and things like that would have been asked. You know, how do we actually fulfill these 613 commandments? Because, you know, no one can actually do everything in the law. They, they've recognized that. And they say, well, what's the most important things that we should uh, concentrate on? And this was, again, this was a, a, a normal question of the day. And, and typically when it was asked, the, uh, the one being asked, he would answer with uh, one of the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, th those, are the, those are the high points. Those are the easy ones to remember, the Ten Commandments, right? And they would, they would expound on uh, one or two of the Ten Commandments. And I think that's probably what they were expecting Jesus to do. And that really, whichever one he uh, expounded upon would have landed him in really one camp or the other. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. What does he do? He, he quotes uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, with all your might. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from uh, Leviticus 19.18. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now we read that a lot of Sundays. Father Daniel read it 
at the beginning of the service. We, we know that. We hear that all the time, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great commandment. We, that's something that kind of is, if you've been in church at all, you've heard that again and again. And I think something, it might kind of fall on flat ears a little bit for us, right? Uh, because I, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I think of the Beatles. Love, love. Chris is not going to let me sing. But, uh, you know, all you need is love, right? That's what I think of. All you need is love. And so if, if, if we're thinking the Beatles and we're thinking, oh, you know, we just got to be nice to each other and love each other, you know, uh, I, what, what's so bad about that? Why would that shut down uh, this lawyer? Uh, again, like I said, the crowd has gathered around. This is happening in public. This is an open forum. And this is their chance to trap Jesus. And he comes back with this love answer. And again, at the end of our passage, we see that it says, and no one dared ask him any questions anymore from that point on. So what, what is going on with this answer? Um, here's the thing. I, I don't believe that this lawyer, and I don't believe that the Pharisees are actually that concerned with what Jesus says about love. No, I think that they're actually much more concerned with what this says about the law. See, because they knew the law up and down. They knew the law. And Jesus, really what he's saying here, it is very radical. Uh, and it's very radical to their ears. I know it doesn't sound like that as much to us, but he really is. He is he's completely flipping the law upside down on the Pharisees. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, when he taught on this, he, he said that uh, Jesus, he, he's not saying that these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, are more important than all the other commandments. And he's not just saying that, that you can love one another and forget about all the rules. Instead, he says, until you understand that everything in the law Every law that is written, every word of the Old Testament is about love. And that love is only given definition by the law, then you don't know what the law is after. You don't know what the law is after. You see, the Pharisees, again, they were concerned. What they were most concerned with is following the letter of the law, doing it exactly right. Uh, Father Daniel talked again last week about this, and he said that if the fair, if their main message was, if we would just follow the law better, people, if you would just do better, then maybe God would send his Messiah. Maybe he would come and liberate us from these Roman oppressors. Maybe he would raise up an army and we could get out of this mess we're in. That was the Pharisees' main message, and they would lord that over the people. It wasn't their fault. They were doing everything right, right? They, they were doing their sacrifices. They were, they were sacrificing not, not pigeons. They were sacrificing goats and lambs. They, they were doing things correct. But, but the people, they weren't doing it right, right? That was the message. Get better, do better, follow the law closer. Maybe if we do that, the Messiah will come and liberate us. 
That's the message of the Pharisees. But Christ, he says something very different here about the law. And, and what he's saying is that, that just crossing the I's and dotting the, by the way, <laughs> dotting the I's and crossing the T's, <laughs> that's not going to do anything. Just following the law for the law's sake is not going to do anything. I mean, take some of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your, mo- honor your mother and your father. If you're not doing that out of love for God and love for, your, for them, then you're not actually fulfilling that commandment. That's what Jesus is saying. Thou shalt not murder. Well, not murdering your neighbor is a far cry from actually loving them, right? Jesus is, is he's up in the ante. What's thou shalt not commit adultery? Well, that's, you know, not cheating on your spouse. Okay. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You have to love your spouse. You have to love God and love your spouse. And that has to be the reason you don't uh, cheat or uh, on your spouse. That's the reason that it has to be. And not, like I said, this is this, what Jesus does here. He takes all those, those commandments in the Old Testament and he wraps them up in love. He says, that's what these are about. If you're not doing it for those reasons, then you're not actually following the law. He makes the law a lot harder, right? The whole point that what the Pharisees, the reason they asked this question is so that the, the person answering can tell them an easier way to follow the law. That's what they're looking for. What's kind of the easy way out? What, what's, the, what's the main things we should concentrate on? And really, in essence, Jesus is saying, you got to do everything. You got to do everything. And it all has to be done out of love. I think that's what shuts this lawyer down. I think that's what shuts these Pharisees down. Because, you know, the thing is, again, you have to remember who's asking this question. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the day. Those who were used to using the law to take advantage of the poor, take advantage of those who were left outside of the temple. He's using the law. They would use the law to lord over the people. I think the lawyer and the Pharisees know that there's no way, there's no way that they can flip everything upside down and actually start doing things out of love for God and love for their neighbor. And, you know, this is a, it's an ancient issue uh, that was going on in Jesus' time, but it's, it's the same for us. We don't have the 613 commandments that the Jews had, but who all has, who here has never asked, how, how do I, how do I live a good life? How do I, uh, how do I live a good Christian life? Or if you're not even a Christian, how, how, how do I be a good person, right? How do I live a good life? It's a, it's a question that we've all asked, that every person is, and it's been an issue with people. And, and Jesus, he, he doesn't let us off the hook either, right? If everything we do is supposed to be out of love for God and love for our neighbor, I'll be honest with you, for me, sometimes it's hard to love my family, right? Sometimes it's hard to love my, my kids, my wife, my kids. How am I supposed to love my neighbor who doesn't clean their lawn? right? How am I supposed to love? Uh, and Jesus takes it further. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, he loves, he says, you have to love your enemies. What, how do we do that? 
Everything we do can't be about that. It can't be, it, that is too hard, Jesus. It's too hard. I think that's why they're dumbfounded. I think that's what's going on here. But this is, I will say, uh, after rereading this and, and kind of studying it uh, over this past week, I've, I found my new favorite part uh, in this story. And it's at the end of the reading. It says, now while the, fire, now while the Pharisees were continued to stay together, when they were gathered together, it starts in, sorry, this is verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asks them a question. Right? He shut them down. They're not going to ask any more questions. And he turns to them. And he, and he really has left them in this impossible situation. And he turns to them. And what does he ask? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, why in the world would Jesus ask these Pharisees who are just absolutely out for him? They're, he, they're his enemy. Why would he ask them this question? Well, I have a, I have a thought here. All, starting in chapter 21, all throughout the scripture, you have this, like I said, this scene that's going on. And you've got these people, this crowd following Jesus around. And what are they saying? What are they shouting? Matthew records it several times. What are the kids in the temple? What are they shouting? Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is quoting Psalm 8 earlier. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. He's healing in public. The temple has been cleared. He's doing all of these things. And then he asks them, who is the Christ? Who is the father or who is the son? Whose son is the son of David? And that's when the whole, the whole crowd, I can imagine, there's just this hush over the crowd, right? He, he shut them down. He's asked them, uh, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And again, this crowd's been shouting it the whole time. And can you imagine the answer? Well, I mean, he's, he's the son of David, right? The answer, he's the son of David. And I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus in that moment, I drop the mic and I walk out. And I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a mic drop moment. It, it's this amazing section of scripture where the whole time the crowd has been saying this, Jesus has revealed himself as the Lord. He's done these miraculous signs. And then he asks him, what do you think about the Christ? Well, he's the son of David. And that hush, it just have, must have just, like I said, falling over the crowd. But the thing is with Jesus, he doesn't stop there, Right? He doesn't stop with just, I mean, really, honestly, humiliating them, uh, making, you know, back and forth. He, he's really shut them down, but he doesn't stop there. He asks, he continues to ask this second question. He says, how then is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord? How is it that David calls the son of David Lord? Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. In other words, how is it that King David, when he's writing these Psalms in the Spirit, how is it that he recognizes something that you can't? He recognizes that, David recognizes that the son of David that's going to come from his line is more 
than just a man. He's more than just a man that's going to raise up an army and liberate the Jewish people. He knows by calling him Lord, he knows that the son of David is actually the son of God. Messiah himself. And he is there to do much more than just free one nation. He is there to save the entire world from sin. And he is the one, he is the only one that will finally live out what no one else can live out. That question about the law. He's the one that can live out and fulfill the greatest commandment to love God and love his neighbor. And in just a few short days, these people that are, that are involved in this question, this back and forth, even the crowd, the crowd's going to turn on him. They're going to go from saying Hosanna to the son of David to crucify him. And yet still he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for those that are, yet, that are right now singing his praise. And he's going to die even for the Pharisees. And he's saying, that person, this son of David, this Messiah that you're looking for is standing right in front of you. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at this whole scene. And I, I truly believe that this question that Jesus asks the Pharisees, it's the same question for us today. Who do we think the Christ is? What do we think about him? Whose son is he? Do we believe that the son of David is the son of God? Do we believe and trust in his salvation? And if you can this morning, marvel at that. Look upon Christ. Trust in his salvation because when it's, when it's too hard to love your neighbor, when it's too hard to love your enemy, and when it's too hard to even love your family, guess what? Christ has already done it. It's been done. He has fulfilled that commandment, and we can trust in him to do that through us. Look upon Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look upon him. And if you are still questioning, is, this, is Christ really who he says he is? I implore you to look at his life. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection and ask him boldly who he is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.